The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Eyes on Florida as both President Trump and Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden head to the Sunshine State. All important in, of course, Tuesday's election. Speaker Pelosi talks to our David Weston. We'll give you the latest on the fiscal stimulus front. No surprise, they're not getting to a deal. All of that plus the latest on what's happening in the markets today. First, though, let's get a check of the headlines from my good friend Nancy Lyons. Hey, Nance. Thanks, Kevin. You said it. Florida is in the focus today for both presidential candidates. President Trump and Joe Biden have been holding rallies in the Sunshine State. Melania Trump kicked things off for her husband. For those of you are still deciding who to vote for on Tuesday. I hope that what I have to say will prove to you that a vote for President Trump is a vote for a better America. At a drive-in rally in Broward County, Joe Biden told his supporters if Florida goes blue, he wins it all. In these final days, stay empowered, stay optimistic, stay united. Make a plan and vote. In a Monmouth University poll released today, Biden leads Trump 50 percent to 45 percent among registered voters in Florida in a model for a high turnout election that grows to 51 percent to 45 percent. Well, give up on the mail and take your ballot to a drop box. That's the advice being given by local elections officials. Maryland officials say more than 1.6 million voters in Maryland requested mailed ballots this year, a roughly tenfold increase from 2016. But due to continued postal delays, they're saying it may be too late to return your ballot by mail. They're suggesting voters drop off ballots at one of the state's 282 drop boxes. The state requires that ballots be postmarked by November 3rd and then received by by November 13th in order to count. In Virginia, all mailed ballots must be postmarked November 3rd and received by noon November 6th. Well, after making its steepest plunge in seven decades in the second quarter, the U.S. economy bounced back in the third with an annualized gain of 33 percent. That topped economists' estimates of a 32 percent rise. Analysts, though, remain cautious for the future outlook as the virus surges and additional relief remains elusive. It's unclear if the report will impact the election, given more than 77 million Americans have already cast their ballot. Now, there is a positive direction today on Wall Street. The Dow was up 139 points to 26,659. Yesterday, you may remember, it dropped more than 900 points. The Nasdaq was up 181 points to 11,186, and the S&P gained 39. Global news 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Back to you, Kevin. See, my name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. All eyes on Florida, folks, as now we are just days away from the presidential election. Former Vice President Joe Biden and President Trump holding dueling rallies in the battleground state of Florida today as the clock ticks down till Election Day on Tuesday at a drive-in rally in the politically famous Broward County. A fired-up Joe Biden urged supporters to get out the vote. Here he is. It's up to you. You hold the key. If Florida goes blue, it's over. It's over. And then there was President Trump. Here's President Trump. We're never going to lock down again. We locked down. We understood the disease. And now we're open for business, and that's what it is. 
That was President Trump speaking. And earlier, uh, later on in the program, speaking of speaking of the economy, we're going to hear from an exclusive interview that our David Weston did with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. But first, let's get a lay of the political map from Greg Giroux, Bloomberg government elections reporter. Greg, all important Florida. What's the latest in terms of the polls are saying and the early voting is saying? Uh, Well, in Florida, it's very key to the presidency, of course. Just about every time Florida votes for the uh, winner of the presidential election, seeing a robust vote in early voting, but also mail-in votes um, and in-person votes, the the, the voting by uh, mail has favored Democrats, but voting in person early has favored Republicans. And so on election night, we need to exercise some caution, because once those first votes start hit shortly after 7 p.m. Eastern time in those counties that closed at that time on the eastern coast, we could see a, a lead for Biden materialize early. But Trump could whittle away at it, depending on who shows up on election day. Okay, what specific parts of Florida should we be paying attention to? Well, we can look at almost every county and just compare it to the 2016 baseline, how Trump uh, and Clinton did in the 2016 races. But there are some counties of note in Florida that tend to vote like the nation or like the state at large. And a couple of counties I'm looking at pretty closely include Pinellas County. That includes Clearwater and St. Petersburg on the, on the Tampa Bay coast. Uh, that voted very closely to the Florida totals in the 2016 election. And then given President Trump's uh, weakness or softness among some senior citizen uh, senior citizen voters. You can look at counties that have larger, higher median ages, like Sumter County, which includes the villages. The president recently made a campaign visit there. It has the highest median age in the country. Trump carried it by 40 points in 2016. And uh, if he loses, if he wins it by, say, 25 or 30, you know, that's a warning sign because he should be winning it by more. Okay. Meanwhile, let's go up the coast to North Carolina. What's the latest on North Carolina? You've got really close races at all levels of the ballot for president, for Senate, even for the state legislature and a couple of House seats. It's a 7.30 p.m. poll closing time, and North Carolina is permitted to kind of collect and process votes that come early, unlike in some northern states. Um, So we may get the result of North Carolina perhaps Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, depending on how close it is. But it's yes, it's it's definitely one of the six or seven top states worth watching in the presidential election and also one of the top four or five states to watch in terms of control of the Senate. Greg Droz with me, Bloomberg government elections reporter. Uh, Greg, you know, you look at a state like Pennsylvania and, and folks, Greg is literally the battleground political map mind of Bloomberg. He knows every county, every parish down in Florida. But, you know, I look at a state like Pennsylvania, so incredibly important. Uh, and, and the southeastern, not the southwestern, the southeastern part of the state where you've got two policy issues on a collision course. Racial inequality in the city of brotherly love where there is a 9 p.m. curfew because of the killing of a black man um, by police officers. Uh, and that, that incident that has sparked looting and protests, some peaceful, some not, uh, in Philadelphia. And then you've got the issue of fracking and energy policy, where news uh, overnight on the Bloomberg Terminal, uh, just across the river where people commute back and forth across the the Delaware River on the Commodore Barry Bridge, where they've got a, a refinery laying off 250 workers, all of their refinery workers. How How is Pennsylvania... How is that right there, an illustration of the dynamics in, in, in Pennsylvania, Greg? Really fascinating state, Pennsylvania. It very well may be the so-called tipping point state. It's certainly a state where I want to know the results of the, of the election there sooner rather than later. But it could be a long count because Pennsylvania is not one of those states that can process early votes uh, before Election Day. So we may see on election night in Pennsylvania Donald Trump move out to an early lead that Joe Biden may whittle away at and possibly uh, take over the lead uh, later later in the week even. But it's a pretty fascinating state politically. You've got a number of counties worth watching there. Um, there are three counties in Pennsylvania 
uh, that voted uh, for Barack Obama in 2012 and Donald Trump in 2016. Erie County, where Trump made a visit a few days ago, Luzerne County near Scranton, and then Northampton County uh, in the uh, in the, you know in the uh, eastern part of the state near the Poconos. Uh, so you've got those three counties there. But as you mentioned, it's a fascinating state where you've had southeastern Pennsylvania kind of move toward Democrats the last couple of decades. But southwestern Pennsylvania, which used to be very ancestrally Democratic, shifted strongly toward Trump. And then you've got this big T that I like to call it. that uh, Pennsylvania. You've got a T, kind of a big T. I think Rhodes Cook, a political analyst, coined this, but you've got a big T across the northern tier of Pennsylvania and cutting down the middle uh, that is overwhelmingly Republican. And Trump in 2016 really squeezed a lot of votes there out of those rural counties that enabled him to overcome his deficits in uh, metro Philadelphia. All right. Uh, what else is on your radar in terms of uh, other battleground states? What are we missing, Greg Giroux? Give us, give us the – what are we missing? What do you think uh, – we're not seeing. Oh, well, we can always get some early signs from some of the early poll closing states, although we may not know the results of them right away. But the first polls close at 6 o'clock Eastern time in Indiana and Kentucky. There's a suburban Indianapolis district I'm watching closely there. But 7 o'clock is when most of Florida closes, as I mentioned. Georgia is also worth watching very closely. Their poll closing time is 7 p.m. Eastern. They've got not one but two U.S. Senate races. And both could go to runoffs in January if no one wins a majority of the vote. There are a couple of House races worth watching in suburban Atlanta. And then the presidential race there is very close. We may see Georgia as a top uh, battleground state after years of Republican dominance. All right. What do you think the uh, Craig Giroux is with us? I mean, do, what do you do? You fill out like a bracket. Do you have like your own prediction coloring map? Or how does how does Greg Giroux, the political junkie mastermind, predict the, the election? I don't do a whole lot of predicting. Um, I do like to watch uh, where the votes are coming from and how they compare to previous elections. So how I prepare is just an, uh, you know just a lot of uh, data crunching. I pull up election results from the most recent elections, trying to detect trends. But what's your method? What's your method, Greg? Give us a little color, because you know we, we, on this show we like to go behind the scenes. Do you do you do you have a cup of coffee, or do you have a certain election? Uh, I don't know strategy meal. How how does someone get that much information packed in their head on on these counties and whatnot? Oh, it's just I think it's an accumulation of doing the same thing for about you know more than twenty years. You know, I started <laughs> doing this in the late nineteen nineties. I remember two thousand very vividly and seeing you know what happened in Florida and. You know, you just need to be prepared and learn as much about the counties as you can. I like delving into the history of counties. I like Pennsylvania as an example. I just yeah. it, it's it's just fascinating how much Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Pennsylvania basically flipped in political orientation over the last twenty five or thirty years. It That's really what makes politics so fun to cover. It is exactly, and it's personal. It's so deeply personal to people. And the the great thing about Greg, folks, is that he's just he's purely data. And it's so hard to come by in this climate. Thanks to Greg Giroux. I cannot wait to keep talking with you all throughout the week. He is, of course, our elections guru here at Bloomberg. Coming up next, what happened in the markets? I'm Kevin Cirilli. Speaker Pelosi still says she's trying to get to a deal. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. U.S. stocks bounced back a day after their biggest rout in four months with investors encouraged by better-than-forecast economic data, even as they keep a wary eye on growing coronavirus infections. The S&P 500 index, 1.2%, the most since October 12th, after President Donald Trump said he plans a very big package of stimulus following the election. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke 
to our very own David Weston about that GDP number. More than 30%, more than 30% GDP growth in the third quarter, according to the data that we got out uh, from, from earlier today. Take a listen to Speaker Pelosi earlier today on Bloomberg TV. It is proof that we need the stimulus even more so. Uh, the reason we had a good, a better second quarter than uh, was a better third quarter is because what we did in the CARES Act and the following uh, subsequent legislation for PPP uh, that uh, put money into the economy. Now people are coming. Uh, th that's going to wear off and we need another infusion. We know that the Fed uh, is strong. That was Speaker Pelosi speaking earlier today on Bloomberg Television. Eric Weiner joins me now, Bloomberg Markets Live Team leader and the author of two books about Wall Street, What Goes Up and The Shadow Market. Eric, help me make sense of the market today. Bad day yesterday, good day today. What gave? Well, it was bad three days. Um, really, the if you look at the S&P, it's been down, well, starting Monday, it was down 5.5% through yesterday. So really, you were kind of ready for a bit of a give back anyway. Historically, after a day like yesterday, you usually get some kind of a bounce back. So we weren't entirely surprised. Um, it, it was sort of muted. Uh, you also had what people haven't been talking about is um, the European Central Bank talking about doing stimulus itself. So, or, you know, easing or however it would be done. Um, but that's kind of a bullish thing for investors. And then we also saw a couple of buy programs move in late in the afternoon, or in the middle of the afternoon. And that was really probably triggered by somebody hitting some level somewhere. And, you know, once that kicks in automatically, you have a bunch of computers just buying a bunch of stocks. Um, so it lifted things. But I don't necessarily know if the tenor of the market is that this is going to hold. All right. All right. So this talk of economic stimulus, we heard it from Speaker Pelosi, mm -hmm. we heard it from President Trump. How's that impacting the mood of the markets? I don't know if they buy it. I mean, really, everybody's kind of on hold until the election. Um, every, it's pretty clear that the president wants a big package, and he should. Uh, it's pretty clear that Pelosi wants a big package, and she should. Uh, it's pretty clear that they disagree on some of the elements of it, but those appear to be able to be bridged. It's really the GOP Senate that is most uh, obstructing in this sense. But I don't know that, like, the markets are thinking that if Biden comes along and wins and you get the Dems Senate, you'll get a bigger stimulus. But I don't know that anybody assumes you won't get a nice size stimulus package if Trump wins, too, because he's really going to go after that hard. It's, it's, it's really a remarkable, remarkable recalibration of sorts on the markets uh, that have factored in in recent weeks. The likely uh, election volatility coming with the results uh, on Tuesday. And now, seemingly, we're caught off guard by some of the lockdowns and restrict not, and lock, maybe lockdowns is, is, is too much of a, is not the appropriate word, but some of the increased restrictions, to be more precise, that are, that are happening in Germany and France. And now this sense of this economic anxiety amongst investors that it could happen again in the United States because of the uptick in COVID cases. Can you speak to that? That's absolutely what's going on. So if you think about the stock market, it's a forward-looking mechanism. It's trying to predict what's going to happen next. And the fear really isn't about the election anymore. It's about, it, to the extent that it's about the election, it's about who would manage COVID better. Because really what people are afraid of are these coming lockdowns or whatever will happen, restrictions on the economy. I, I read yesterday that about 10% of office workers are back in New York City. I'm not back in New York City. I'm working out of my house. Um, but when you think about like the amount of money that's just spent commuting, uh, it, all of that's gone. And then you have restaurants and you have every, every other aspect of the economy that can be shut down. And regionally, nationally, at some level, it's going to hit. That's the fear that the market has. That's what yesterday was all about. You start seeing things like France shutting down and everybody goes, oh, my God, that's going to happen here. Look at what's going on in the upper Midwest. Uh, Eric Weiner's on the line, uh, and and he just did this brilliant, brilliant. He's our he's our Bloomberg Markets live team leader and the author of two books about Wall Street: What Goes Up in the Shadow Market. But he just did this incredible, incredible M Live Go speech feature uh, on the Bloomberg Terminal titled "A Trader's Guide to Election 2020." 
uh, many of our readers participated as well as some of our colleagues. And I was really struck by Cameron's comments, Cameron Kreese, mm-hmm. um, macro strategist up in New York, just about how over in Europe, the equity cyclical tilt should be should see export oriented sectors catch a bid on less protectionist trade policies. That's the expectation is that a Biden administration would come in and would have less protectionist trade policies. However, based on my reporting, I think some of these tariffs, Eric, are, are, are here to stay regardless of the outcome in, in November. I really do. Well, that, see, your reporting is interesting to me because that is not what the market is expecting. I know. One, one of the things that we find is that the market doesn't always read politics right. They don't know um, how. They, they don't know how. Eric, I got to jump in here because it's it's remarkable to me because the way policy in Washington works, whether it's some of the, the sanctions that have been placed in the last couple of weeks coming from the State Department or it's some of the negotiations that have gone on, do you really think Biden's going to get in there and say, oh, you know what, TikTok, we're going to drop this case or we're going to do that? It's not the way it works, Eric. No, no. And it's, I have these conversations all the time because I actually do come from a political background originally. I know. That's um, why you're the best. But um, the, the really, when you when you look at it, what markets think is that Biden will come in and peace will break out all over the world. We'll have <laughs> our trading partners back in uh, in Europe. China will be our friend again, and everything is going to be fine. And it's as you put it, it's just not that simple. And you just don't wipe wipe out things that have been written into uh, orders. You don't just discount everything that was done. If, if it could have been done easily, think of what. What Trump would have done to Obamacare. So it, it's just not as simple as that, but the market reacts as if this would be like, you know, flipping a switch. And really, I think the expectation is that if Biden comes in, there's this sea change in kind of how trade works. But I don't know that consumption is going to be there. I mean, even if, let's just say, peace does break out all over the world, who's going to buy anything? Who's making money? And that's really the question. And the other question is, do you really think, folks, that Senator Bernie Sanders or (laughs) Senator Elizabeth Warren are going to be in favor of the World Trade Organization, WTO, uh, nominee that the Obama administration blocked in Ngozi Okonjo-Iwiala? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. where populist politics gets really, really interesting. We got a minute left. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's it. And it's not only senator. It could be cabinet yep. minister. Yep. You know, it could be— Bingo! You know, so you uh, all of these people who have varying different uh, agendas are going to be feeding into Biden's head, and we have no idea where this is going to go. And the market is taking a very simplistic view of a very complex issue. Very good. Eric Weiner, thank you so much for, for making time for me today. I always learn when I talk to Eric. He's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And his team has a great special, What Goes Up. Um, well, that's his book, What Goes Up in the Shadow Market. But he also has a great special on Bloomberg called A Trader's Guide to Election 2020. Go check it out. Coming up, we head back down to Florida. Adam Goodman's going to join me and Adam Hodge. The Adams. The Adams are back. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump and Joe Biden hosting dueling rallies in the sunshine state of Florida. We go live to Florida with Adam Goodman. Plus, the latest on the economic stimulus. Speaker Pelosi talks to our David Weston. This as U.S. stocks bounced back a day after their biggest rout in four months. The U.S. economy's record third quarter surge has already given way to a more moderate pace of growth. Fresh new economic indicators suggest. First, though, let's get a check of the headlines from my good friend, 
Nancy Lyons. Hey, Nance. Hey, Kevin. President Trump and Joe Biden have been looking for votes in the battleground state of Florida today, with both making the argument that they're the best person to move the country forward. We're never going to lock down again. We locked down. We understood the disease. And now we're open for business. And that's what it is. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the country, but I'm going to shut down the virus. President Trump was also expected to campaign in North Carolina today, but that trip was canceled due to the winds from what's left of Zeta, the Category 2 storm that made landfall yesterday at about this time in Louisiana. Well, a businessman accused of taking part in a fraud and money laundering plot with two associates of Rudy Giuliani has pleaded guilty. Bloomberg's Nathan Hager reports. David Correa was accused of working with Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman in a wide-ranging scheme to solicit campaign donations from foreign investors while advancing their business interests in the U.S. One of the charges against Correa related to a $325,000 donation made by Parnas and Fruman to the Trump-affiliated America First Political Action Committee. Correa's plea is the first admission of guilt from any of the defendants in the case. Nathan Hager, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The D.C. Police Department has released body cam footage of the police pursuit and crash that resulted in the death of 20-year-old Karan Hilton. The footage shows a police cruiser following Hilton, who is riding a moped, and as he exits the alley and turns into Kennedy Street in northwest D.C., he's hit by an ongoing passenger vehicle. No, he's bleeding heavy. Hilton's family blames the officers for his death. Vehicle chases for traffic violations are not allowed under MPD's policy. Mayor Muriel Bowser is promising a full investigation. I can assure you that we will be working to get the clear answers about what happened and share that information. Uh, as soon as possible. Four officers have been placed on leave with their powers revoked pending the outcome of the investigation. Former Liberty University President Jerry Falwell Jr. is suing the school for defamation and breach of contract. Falwell claims Liberty accepted false claims against him without investigating them, forced him to resign, then sought to quote, tarnish, minimize, and outright destroy the legacy of himself and his family. He stepped down from leading the school back in August. A cool spring, early fall temps, and a hurricane in August helped reduce the dead zone in the Chesapeake Bay. The so-called dead zone is an area where oxygen levels are so low that aquatic life dies. In its annual dead zone report, the Virginia Institute of Marine Sciences at William & Mary found the total amount of hypoxia, which is the formal name for a dead zone, was estimated to be considerably lower than in the recent past, with hypoxia both starting later and ending earlier. It's time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Tracy Jonke. Nancy this morning brought news of the fastest economic rebound on record, but stocks didn't really take off until the White House and House Speaker mentioned the possibility of a stimulus package after Election Day. The Dow is up 139 points at 26,659. The Nasdaq is up 181 points at 11,186. The S&P up 39 points. GDP growth topped 33 percent during the July to September quarter. And now we're hearing from technology giants about their performance during roughly the same period. A July boycott of Facebook by a thousand advertisers over its management of hate speech could not stop revenue gains at Facebook last quarter. And Apple beat Wall Street's estimates, but its revenue from the iPhone fell 21%. The new iPhone 12 wasn't launched until this quarter. Some D.C. businesses and building owners are boarding up storefronts in anticipation of something happening on and after Election Day. Most of the plywood appears to be going up downtown, where some windows were smashed during protests in June. District officials say there have been no credible threats of Election Day violence. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Tracy Jonke. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Tracy. Global news 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Back to you, Kevin. Thanks, Nance. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Let's head to the Sunshine State, Florida, <clears throat> where former Vice President Joe Biden and President Trump held dueling rallies today in the key battleground state as the clock ticks down before Election Day at a drive-in rally in Broward County. A fired-up Joe Biden urged supporters to get out the vote. Here he is. 
We're learning to die within. Donald Trump has waved the white flag, abandoned our families, and surrendered to the virus. But the American people don't give up. We don't give in. And we surely don't cower, and nor will I, under any circumstances. Meanwhile, President Trump, despite the latest increase in COVID cases and hospitalizations around the world, not just here in the United States and Germany, France also imposing new restrictions as a result of those cases. He says the focus should be on reopening the economy in a way that's safe and healthy. Here he is in Tampa. We're never going to lock down again. We locked down. We understood the disease. And now we're open for business. And that's what it is. And then there's the economy. Reed Pickard on the Bloomberg Terminal. The U.S. economy's record third quarter surge has already given way to a more moderate pace of growth with a fresh jump in coronavirus infections and an extended deadlock over further stimulus threatening to weigh on activity. Economists coming out from the government with their GDP uh, gross domestic product, which jumped 33.1% between July and September 33.1%. That figure largely reflected a rebound in economic activity after widespread lockdowns earlier this year. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi speaking earlier today to my colleague David Weston said that that GDP growth means there should be more stimulus. Here she is. It is proof that we need the stimulus even more so. Uh, the reason we had a good, a better second quarter than uh, was... A better third quarter is because what we did in the CARES Act and the following uh, subsequent legislation for PPP uh, that uh, put money into the economy. Now people are coming. uh, That's going to wear off and we need another infusion. She sent a letter to Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin uh, today, who, and he responded and said, quit playing hardball. I'm paraphrasing. Both sides still dug in, still no signs of a deal. Adam Goodman's with me, Republican media strategist, columnist, and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington, D.C., but he's very familiar with Florida. And Adam Hodge, senior vice president at Ariel Investments. Previously, he was with the Treasury Department in the Obama administration. All right, the two Adams. Adam Goodman, I'll start with you. You know, it, it's that's the lay of the land as the economy rebounds, but COVID escalates. The economy's rebounding. COVID's seemingly hitting another peak. And here we are just five days away, Adam Goodman. Just when you think we've had more than enough to consume to figure <laughs> out how this is going to go, we get even more. Yep. I mean, obviously, I think my other my other friend, Adam, would agree that, you know, to see a 33% rise in GDP, yes, it comes off a very, very tough second quarter, is encouraging. Uh, what isn't encouraging, frankly, is Washington still can't get its act together to come together for a stimulus deal that every economist says, everyone says we need to keep moving forward. But in terms of how this impacts what is about to, to happen, uh, you heard in the clip leading into the segment, uh, Kevin, that uh, the president's down in Tampa Bay talking about he will not close down the economy. I think that is underneath all this. That's a very powerful signal. Even with COVID cases that might be hitting a second spike, we don't want to go back to a complete lockdown. That may have a lot to do with some of the swing votes here in the last five days. Do you agree with that, Adam Hodge? I think that it's clear that as long as uh, Trump is president, he's going to do whatever he can to to stop a lockdown. I think the the problem and the disconnect with the actual economy and getting the virus under control is that it's not married with a push to get people to wear masks and socially distance and and do those things that would help bring the the cases under control. I think the the number today certainly, uh, you know, definitely gets you to open your eyes, but um, I can't help but but remember that you know we've had 32 weeks of record high unemployment, and I think you, the last couple of weeks you've seen that jobless claims continue to increase, and so it, it it it's a bit of a disconnect from where we are today. And I agree that there's no clear um, path for stimulus between now and election day, but it needs to happen. It should have happened three months ago, um, and people are are, are you know putting, um, they've kind of spent every last uh, dime in their bank account, and they're wondering where where they're going to go next with jobs continuing to, to suffer. So I think we got a long road to hoe, and I think Biden is poor, has a strong argument to make that all of this could have been 
uh, dealt with in a much better fashion with much less damage to the economy. You know, but, but one of the things, Adam uh, Goodman, we got like 90 seconds left for, for this answer that Republicans have struggled with. I mean, whether it's Germany, a progressive country, um, France, a progressive country, they're having to have new restrictions. I mean, this is not a, this uptick is not unique to the United States. You've got Canada up north; they're having to grapple with more another round of stimulus. I mean, these fights in the Western Hemisphere are are very similar fights are, that everyone's having. But on the campaign trail, it feels like a uniquely American problem uh, here. Adam Goodman. The problem with all this is you had the Democratic argument that, if I can distill it, is blame this president and his incompetence for 220,000 American deaths and all the damage COVID's done. And yet we see examples all over the world of the damage it's done all over the world. And, and there's really very few places on Earth that is in control of this. So that doesn't really wash. What we, what we really have to focus on is which one, Joe Biden or President Trump, has a better plan and a better and more credible idea of moving forward. This election right now is a referendum on that. And the election beyond that, uh, Kevin, is a referendum on the president of the United States. Joe might as well just go back to Delaware. This is all about whether you like or don't like the president and what he's done and where he wants to go. Joe can go down to Broward County all he wants. It isn't going to make any difference. Well, you know, and, and coming up, we're going to dive much more into this. But I, I think in terms of fumbled messaging, I mean, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal today, rule is set for free vaccines. Here it is. Seniors and people in private health insurance plans are among those who won't be charged for getting a coronavirus vaccine under a Trump administration rule designed to ensure that as many people as possible get vaccinated once a shot becomes available. I don't hear that. I don't hear that from their surrogates. I don't hear that from their messaging. And it's it they bury they bury their own their own uh, their own success. I got the two Adams with me. The 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 Adams sound on family. You know, it's Halloween. I'm trying to to work that in. Adam Hodge is gonna stay, Adam Goodman's gonna stay. Coming up next, uh, we talk more politics and policy. Five four days out, four days and some hours, five days. This is it. Buckle up. Keep your eye on the road. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. It's the Adams Sound On family. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We've got the Adams on. The Adams. Adam Goodman, Republican media strategist, columnist, and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington. And Adam Hodge, Senior Vice President at Ariel Investments, former Obama Treasury Perspective. Uh, person person former obama person. treasury official i don't even know adam i was still i was i was thinking of how i was going to ask the adams if they ever were for halloween uh, a adams family person person character what is with my words today adam hodge it's we're, it's we're four days out from the election and the words yep. are, are all card you know we're all having slept in years not these, these days um, now, with uh, I think Adam's family uh, in, in college once once so, okay. you know, made it work. But always what was good your to be, best? Be back with the Adams. What was your, this is what I'm asking everybody all week. What was your best Halloween costume ever in your whole life? Wow! I, I, yeah, I, the sigh was so dramatic, like a dramatic there, pause. <laughs> there were a couple. There were a couple in college that that uh, when you went to college in in, in the early two thousands, uh, you probably could could have gotten away with it. I don't think. <laughs> Thankfully, there weren't iPhones back in the, in those days. Adam Hodge, <laughs> Adam Goodman. Let's change the subject. Adam Goodman. Uh, let's. We'll talk Halloween later. Um, 
What was I going to say? Okay, battleground states. Let's focus back on that. Mail-in ballots, an increase in mail-in ballots. I mean, this is... We were talking at the break with our with our producers, Matt Shirley and, and Christine Barada, about how there's so many big variables in this in this election. Mail-in ballots. You've got Hurricane Z- Zeta. You got uh, hurricane. You got so that's a hurricane. You got COVID nineteen violence potentially. So much, Adam Goodman. What's your biggest unknown variable heading into Tuesday? Whether or not we're going to know on Tuesday the third or January third, <laughs> <is> no <laughs> I I think there. Are, you talk about the imponderables. The one thing we know is there's a heck of a lot of vote coming at. Uh, supervisors of elections all over the country. And many of them don't have, frankly, all the machinery and technology they need to do this uh, counting seamlessly, which means with all this vote coming at them, and of course you see that the Supreme Court decisions that are starting to come out bearing on whether or not certain states can count you know, a couple of days or longer past uh, election day. What you're looking at is not an election night, probably not an election week. You're probably looking at a couple of weeks. If it's a close election, definitely a couple of weeks. And then you get the thing we don't really want to even confront, which is if there are election challenges in a number of key states that may hold the balance and may determine the next president of the United States. And I came out of the 2000 recount in Florida. I'm telling you, I still have nightmares waking up at night thinking that still they're still counting. Um, If that happens and you have state Supreme Courts, that are weighing in in various swing states, then funneled ultimately to the U.S. Supreme Court, we're in for a story bigger than the story of election night. You know, it's it's really remarkable, and and, and you just alluded to the Supreme Court case, or lack thereof, rather, yesterday, uh, in which Judge Amy Coney Barrett uh, did not participate in, uh, a, a spokesman for ACB, as she's, as she's known as here in the Beltway, uh, said that because her first day on the job was at the beginning of the week, she didn't have enough time to, to prepare or participate in, but they left the door open for additional cases. And so to, to Adam Goodman's point right there, just because they didn't have a ruling yesterday on North Carolina and Pennsylvania uh, or take it up, they still left wiggle room for there to be additional cases. You mentioned North Carolina, Hawk, uh, the Tar Heel state uh, of North Carolina, uh, uh, just a key, key, key battleground state. You know, when President Trump uh, and his campaign officials just last month outlined their path to the White House, they they offered seven different paths to the White House. Five of the seven included winning North Carolina. So the what happened yesterday with the Supreme Court was that if you have a ballot postmarked in the tar, in the Tar Heel State on November third, election day, and it get it can be counted through November twelfth at five p.m. Eastern. So what does that mean? It means we might not know who won North Carolina until. Days, days after. Um, Adam Hodge, in terms of the dynamics of our viral media cycle, not even a 24-hour cycle, a Twitter cycle, just the national discourse, and I don't want to to get too hypothetical here, but we really should be preparing for not having a result on on November 3rd. That's right. And, Kevin, I think that's part of the reasons uh, that you've seen that – both the Biden campaign and allies in the, uh, in the Democratic Party, encouraging people to take their ballots and either drop them off at a, at a polling place or in a ballot drop box instead of putting them in the mail. Now, it, you know, it is encouraging that um, if you postmark your ballot by, by Election Day, it should count. That seems like a pretty intuitive. If you can walk into a polling place and, and cast your vote um, on Election Day, mailing it by Election Day you know, shouldn't be a, a, an issue. Um, but I think out of an abundance of caution and given the delays that we've seen in the post office, uh, everyone should, uh, if they're considering about filling out an absentee ballot, just drop it off take it or take it to a polling place. And, and, and why, why risk it? Adam, I think, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, Adam Goodman, you're going to be with me for uh, the rest of the hour, and I know Adam Hodge, you've got to run. So I wanted to make sure I was able to ask you this. You served in the Treasury Department for uh, for the Obama White House, and and there is a lot of questions. Some of them, I think they're they're justified. How do you, based upon the conversations that you have with Democratic officials, how do you foresee a Biden administration governing if he wins? 
will he pick maybe not Senator Elizabeth Warren for the Treasury Department, but someone from her ideology to lead some of these agencies? Because a lot of a lot of centrists, you know, are worried about that. And and a lot of Republicans who are turned off by Trump's rhetoric and, and considering voting for Joe Biden, maybe they that's a big question for them. We're going to talk energy policy in a minute, but let's let's stick with Treasury right here, Adam Hodge, in a minute. Yeah, I think that that um, uh, one of the we're all crossing our fingers and toes and whatever and uh, knocking on as much wood as we can that, that Biden gets to make that that choice. I think he's someone who saw the importance of having a functioning government and having competent leaders in important cabinet positions who can um, get things done and, and not get held up on some of the um, sort of more nuanced pieces of, of running an agency. And so I think you may see him turn to someone with yeah. both experience and market experience to really right. need all right. Adam, have fun with the family this Halloween, all right? And uh, I kind of am curious for what you Same do for you. Halloween. And uh, let me know off the record. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. U.S. stocks bounced back a day after their biggest route in four months, with investors encouraged by better-than-forecast economic data, even as they kept a wary eye on growing coronavirus infections. The S&P 500 index uh, increased 1.2%, the most since October 12th, after President Trump said he plans a very big package. We already played what Speaker Pelosi's Speaker Pelosi had to say to David Weston, she also wants some type of deal. Um, But the dollar and treasury yields rose after reports showed a decline in weekly jobless claims and a surge in third quarter economic growth that reversed much of the pandemic collapse. It's really fascinating, folks. When you look at the economic data, there's some confusion in terms of trying to decipher what it means. A lot of Americans are spending money on home improvement projects but then they're not spending money in other areas, so they're doing more savings. So the pandemic consumer, I don't think the markets, a long way of saying, I'm not sure the markets have figured out the psychology of the American consumer. And with that, let's pivot back to politics. Uh, Adam Goodman's still with me, Republican media strategist, columnist, and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington, D.C. And Adam Hodge, SVP at Aerial Investments, previously worked in the Obama Treasury. Hodge, I almost let you go by accident, and I apologize. I had to text him in the break. I said, come back. I messed up. And then I said, P.S., can you tell me what you were for Halloween that you didn't want to say on air? And then you told me, and now I'm going to try to get you to say it on air. What were you for Halloween? <laughs> Uh, I was a golf pro, but the shorts were of questionable length. That's the, the, sh- <laughs> the shorts <laughs> were, you know, it's fun. What was your best Halloween costume, Adam Gibbon? I, as I, 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 I shudder to say this. I think I dressed up once uh, during his presidency as Bill Clinton and went to a Republican Party. Oh I, wanted my gosh. See, I wanted to see <laughs> just how much grief. I was getting from my own friends without knowing, you know, them knowing who was behind the mask. Yeah, that was that was fun. Well, yesterday I told everybody that I was French fries one year, pizza one year, and a pack of Lifesavers another year. I went through like all of my favorite. I went through a food phase when I was a kid. And then what I didn't tell people is that also one year I was Humpty Dumpty. I was Humpty Dumpty and I didn't <laughs> fall off the wall. And I'm not even kidding. Politically minded, even as a child. Okay, let's pivot back to politics. Uh, I want to stick with this issue of 
um, of battleground states, right? Because coming up, we're going to talk about Pennsylvania. I, I want to stick with a state that I think is going to be so incredibly important, and that's Wisconsin. And, and headline crossing the Bloomberg Terminal just within the last couple of minutes that uh, Joe Biden is going to be traveling to Wisconsin on October 30th. Of course, President Trump has been there as well. Uh, how incredibly important is the state of Wisconsin, Adam Goodman? Uh, it has been very important in the last couple of presidential elections, and uh, obviously both parties still have aspirations for carrying it. But there is a new electoral map that's in play here that maybe mitigates whatever happens in Wisconsin. As people uh, are starting to cast an eye to other states, in particular the state of Arizona. So not to to, to say what's going to happen or predict what's going to happen in Wisconsin, which is a, which is one of those ultimate swing states. Uh, Joe Biden has had a lead there, varying from a couple of points to more in the last uh, week or two. It should be a good place for the president of the United States, though, frankly, uh, I can tell you insiders in the in our side of defense are looking more um, kind of longingly at the state of Minnesota. If you're talking about a swing state and a shocker. We're looking more maybe in Minnesota, perhaps, than the state of Wisconsin. All right, time now for my favorite part of the program, which is what is on the panel's radar. We're going to do it a little bit differently today because we got a segment on PA coming up next. But Adam Hodge, what's on your radar? Uh, what the final early vote number is in North Carolina. I, I think they, they um, I think that has been a state that, to your point earlier, about uh, on, on the fence, and it will tell, tell a lot. I mean, Democrats have been really enthused about uh, getting that state back in our, our column and especially could have um, uh, also because of what it means for the U.S. Senate. Um, it's, a, it's just a, a key, key race uh, that I think I'm uh, obsessed with that race. Tough. I'm obsessed yeah. with that race. At the top of the ticket, obviously, you've got Trump, Biden duking it out uh, for for North Carolina, the Tar Heel state. You've got so many different dynamics in just that sense uh, where Nash County is so incredibly important. And Nash County, razor, razor thin margin that Trump carried it by. Uh, Obama actually was really the only Democrat in decades to be able to win this purple state back in 2008. But Mitt Romney won it back uh, in, in 2012, but obviously went on to, to lose the election. Why is yeah, Nash County one, so one important? Super, super quick, quick, quick point on, on um, what's different this time. This you have time. You have time. I think that having a Democratic governor uh, in, in the state is just a huge difference from certainly from four years ago. Um, and so I think uh, that that could be one of the things that, that tips the balance in, in Democrats' favor. Um, and certainly um, with the um, efforts that the Republicans have made and then the legislature has really tarnished the brand of Republicans in the state of North Carolina. And so that's why I think you're, you've seen uh, both Biden, um, Cooper, and um, – uh, and Cal Cunningham really show real strength and durability in a race that many thought um, you know, was off the table at the beginning of this election. And look, I think if we get an early result in North Carolina for, for the left, it's going to be a good night for, for Democrats. I mean, Cal Cunningham, the Democratic challenger, here's an Army veteran who's locked now in a sexting scandal that has been playing out in the front pages of North Carolina's uh, news news stories, newspapers, um, against Senator Tom Tillis, who's a member, a Republican incumbent, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Obviously, the ACB confirmation, uh, a, a, a key issue in that Senate race. Um, so just a, a fascinating, fascinating state to watch. Uh, Bank of America headquartered there, Nucor headquartered there, Duke Energy down headquartered in, in North Carolina. So a, a really fascinating dynamic. Um, Adam Goodman, what's on your radar? Let me take us further south to my home state of Florida. Oh. So in the early mail balloting, Democrats, by registration, Democrats hold about a 650,000 vote lead over Republicans, which is daunting, right? Well, now the early vote is starting to kick in. Republicans right now are up by 470,000 in the early vote, which means the bottom line as we stand is the difference between votes that have been cast from Democrats versus Republicans is a minus 180 for Republicans. Sounds like a big 180,000. Sounds like a big number, right? All the models, uh, and I'm very much you know, involved with a lot of the players that just didn't breathe this, not for media spend, but for where are we? 
all the models that we have in Florida say if we're anything under 300,000 votes as a deficit going into Election Day, history says we're going to win. Well, we're already at 180. If the trend line continues, Kevin, that number will be under 100,000 as a difference going into Election Day, where traditionally Republicans in Florida have had their way uh, with the electorate in terms of margins over the Democrats. Wow. That's incredibly nuanced and, 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 and very insightful. Uh, I'm going to go geopolitical for a second. I'm going to hit pause on uh, the uh, 2020 for a second. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, was uh, traveling in Sri Lanka uh, this week, and he blasted the Communist Party of China uh, in a speech. Some, some obviously some interesting geopolitical uh, tensions happening in Sri Lanka where you've got now a pro- or I don't want to say pro, but a, a more sympathetic uh, new government uh, that's been more sympathetic to China than than to the United States. So Secretary Pompeo went over there, and he said, direct quote, I want to make sure I get it right here. It is. I, I marked it in my show prep. Where is it? Uh, he, called, he said, the Chinese Communist Party is a predator. Uh, he told this to reporters after a meeting Wednesday with Sri Lankan Foreign Minister Dinesh Gunawardena. The United States comes in a different way. We come as a friend and as a partner. Now, obviously, Sri Lanka, just for a, a quick uh, history lesson geopolitically, they've struggled with their transition in terms of what's been going on uh, to, to their uh, democracy. But they've got a lot of issues when it comes to infrastructure and whatnot. And the Chinese that come in there and as they do, said, we'll make you a really good deal, but there's strings attached. And so Secretary Pompeo going over there. But some tough talk continuing from Secretary Pompeo uh, on on the CCP. More coming up next. Now we say goodbye to Adam Hodge. Adam Gibbons stays. Thank you, Adam Hodge. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You know, folks, Pennsylvania, I'm not saying it just because, just because I'm from there. Pennsylvania is fascinating, fascinating right now. And I don't know if you've been following this, but Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, in a curfew, 9 p.m. curfew, Mayor Kenny, Democrat, Mayor Kenny imposing a 9 p.m. curfew in the city of brotherly love because of the unrest that has gone on in the city over the past, the past, uh, the past couple of days. I want to make sure I get this right. Reading from uh, Dow Jones, a citywide curfew took effect in Philadelphia Wednesday at 9 p.m. as officials tried to restore order after two nights of looting and vandalism sparked by the fatal shooting of Walter Wallace Jr. by police. City officials said the first of several hundred Pennsylvania National Guard soldiers are expected to arrive in the city Friday with a primary mission to safeguard property and prevent looting. So that's what's going on in the city of brotherly love hop across the commodore barry bridge and you go to refineries okay refineries in the not just in, in delaware joe biden's delaware and i wake up this morning very early as i do and i check my bloomberg terminal uh new jersey refinery becomes latest casualty of collapse in fuel demand my colleague Barbara Powell reporting on the terminal. PBF Energy's Paulsboro Refinery in New Jersey has become the latest oil processing <coughs> facility to fall victim to a COVID-driven collapse in fuel demand, announcing plans to idle operations for the foreseeable future. The company plans to lay off 250 employees at the 160,000-barrel-a-day plant and halt fuel production as a result of low demand. Why do I bring this up? Fracking. Okay, I know when we talk about PA, most of us consider, oh, it's just, you know, the pundits. They talk about, oh, it's just southwestern or southwestern Pennsylvania. That's where this issue is. But if you are from this state and what I just outlined for you, that's the zeitgeist of the Delco area, the Delco mindset that, yeah, is is district along with with South Philly. 
but it's there's a there's a schism of refinery blue collar workers that that's what they're living with right now. So I'm thrilled to welcome back to the program Adam Goodman's with me and Charlie Giroux. I looked at the rundown. I said Charlie Giroux, the political PA mastermind of Republican politics, Charlie Giroux is going to be on the program. And then I looked at the hill.com where I used to work. All fracked up is the the title of their column, Biden's Keystone State Breakdown. All right, Charlie Giroux, thanks for being here. What do you write in the hill.com about how fracking is going to be such a crucial issue in the closing arguments to election day? Well, it's great to be on with you, Kevin. And fracking, as you know, has been an issue throughout the campaign as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have flip-flopped all over the place, first calling for an outright ban, then saying only a partial ban, then saying, oh, maybe we're going to cut out fossil fuels altogether, et cetera, punctuated by that really incredible remark he made at the close of the second debate where he said he's also going to shut down the oil industry, which has another major component to the Pennsylvania economy. Hundreds of thousands of Pennsylvania jobs depend on natural gas and on oil. After all, the oil industry in the United States began right here in Pennsylvania. Well, Charlie, that's where I want to take this. Charlie Giroux is with us. You know, I think for people outside of, of this of these geographical regions in our country, it's difficult to understand how just how nuanced this issue is in the sense we cable news reports this as, you know, how can anyone not have their minds made up? But it's more it's more these many of these refinery workers. Some of these are union jobs. These are uh, but they're the they're the swing voters. And it's not just a decision of whether or not they're going to vote for President Trump or Joe Biden. It's if they're going to show up to the polls at all. When you've got refinery laying off workers i mean what does that do to the dynamics in the lead up charlie Giroux, to that to, to turn out on election day in a state like pennsylvania well you're correct kevin i mean a lot of these folks are not traditional republican voters by any stretch yep. of the imagination most of them are union households these are very good paying jobs a lot of the jobs in the oil fields and in the gas fields pay a hundred thousand bucks a year or more yep and folks not only depend on them for their families, but there are a large number of ancillary industries that are also totally dependent on gas and oil. So you've got a whole new group of pro-Trump voters who are highly motivated to turn out on Tuesday, folks that perhaps didn't even vote in 2016. I think it's fascinating. And I, and I think, you know, coupled with what's going on just a couple of miles away in, in uh, Philadelphia, which is dominating the local news and the Philadelphia media markets, it's, it's, it's the, I keep saying it, this, this is another variable that is, that I don't, that is hard to predict. Uh, Adam Goodman. Adam Goodman. Are you yeah. upper, I am. They're saying that upwards of 60% of Pennsylvanians have yet to vote. And you're looking at a big election day turnout. Well, the most Googled item after that, the, that terrible debate by Joe Biden in the state of Pennsylvania was oil and gas. And there was one survey I saw that said that 57% of Pennsylvanians who hadn't voted are reconsidering how they're going to vote based on that issue. So when Charlie Giroux, uh says this is, this is a major gap, this is a major deal in a blue-collar state, but these aren't just Republicans. These are blue-collar Democrats. This has got to really worry Joe Biden. And isn't it time that Joe Biden, in his final furlong of the race, with a couple days to go, in Pennsylvania, a key state uh, in the electoral map, that he's decided not to come back? He's not, at least at, at this point. He doesn't want to come back because he knows the questions he's going to get. They're not good ones. And well, he has no answer. Well, let me. Okay, so let's 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 go analytical for a second, because obviously, if I if I were to have a, a Democrat would say, okay, well, you know, he wants to, you know, better the environment and and whatnot. But my question to you is, is this by design? Is he not taking a position on energy, or is he leaving the 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 questions, Adam Goodman, around his energy policy? And it's not just energy, mind you. It's also uh, financial policy, right? There's a, a headline just, just crossed Politico just within the last hour that says Senator Elizabeth Warren is going to be jockeying for Treasury Secretary. They cite three unnamed sources close to her inner circle. That's uh, citing Politico. But is this by design, this question around his policy, Adam Goodman? And if it is, is that a smart policy? Or a, uh, smart a smart strategy, smart a smart strategy, sorry. Well, Kevin, you know why he's doing it. Let's just be real. 
Joe Biden is trying to have both ends against the middle. He's trying not to answer that question. I guess that's what you do. After 47 years of being a politician, you try to make sure that no one really knows where you're coming from. And part of it is also he is sending a message to the progressive left that he's going to do some of their bidding. And the Elizabeth Warren uh, uh, yeah. balloon that's being floated for Treasury and uh, Bernie Sanders on health care. You get what's going on. And fracking oil and gas in Pennsylvania is just another example of how Joe Biden wants to have it all without being anywhere. Charlie Jarrell, we got like 45 seconds left. So very quickly, just give us the lay of the land. What do you think is going to happen in PA? And then please come back on the show when we have more time. I I would love to. And I do think that Donald Trump wins Pennsylvania again by another narrow margin. But Adam is absolutely correct. What you saw Joe Biden doing in the last four or five days of the campaign was really trying to extricate himself from his position between the dog and the political tree, where he put himself in that debate. He wasted an entire day having to come back to Pennsylvania, appear before one of his small gatherings to explain himself. And as you know, when you're explaining in a political campaign, you're losing ground. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is back here to huge crowds. And guess where he's closing his campaign on Monday? Where? In Scranton, Pennsylvania. Wow. And that's where he did it. That's where he closed last cycle, too. I was there. That's where my grandma was from. Me, me, I'm thinking of you. Charlie Jarrell, Adam Goodman, fracking. And I can't stress it enough. Can you imagine waking up to that headline? Refinery jobs going away in Delco. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.